Book Five, Chapter Four of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two, by Henry Charles Lea. Book Five, Resources, Chapter Four, Benefices. When the Inquisition was established, it was apparent that, if its officials, or a portion of them, could be quartered on the church, there might be less diversion of the confiscations from the royal treasury. At the very commencement, in 1480, Ferdinand and Isabella obtained, from Sextus IV, an indult authorizing them to present the four earliest inquisitors to benefices, of course, without obligation to reside. As yet, however, the Inquisition had not inspired general terror, and the people refused to admit the intruders, whereupon the sovereigns provided them with four chaplaincies in the royal chapel. The attempt was not abandoned, and, in the supplementary instructions of December 1484, Torquemada announced that it was the intention of the sovereigns to procure a papal indult, authorizing them to bestow benefices, not only on the inquisitors, but on all the clerics employed in the holy work. Something of the kind was evidently obtained, for, when the holy office was organized in 1485 under Torquemada, the brief confirming his appointment dispensed from residence all officials in its service, who held or might thereafter obtain preferment. New appointees were released from the customary temporary residence, and all were assured of their full revenues without deduction, all apostolical and conciliar decrees to the contrary notwithstanding. There was nothing in this to shock public opinion, for the canon law permitted canons to be absent for study in any recognized university, and the enjoyment of benefices everywhere by the creatures of the curia was legalized by assuming service to the Pope to be equivalent to service in a chapter. Yet the Spanish church, apparently, was not disposed to submit quietly to this, and its resistance may be assumed as the cause of another brief of Innocent VIII on February 8, 1486, which limited the grant to five years and required the beneficiary to supply a vicar to fill his place. At the same time, it specified all officials, down to messengers and jailers, as entitled to its benefits, and provided for opposition by appointing the bishops of Cordoba and Leon, and the abbot of San Emiliano of Burgos, as executors with full powers to suppress recalcitrance. When the five years expired, the indult was renewed for another five years, and so it continued until the end of the Inquisition, the popes steadily refusing to prolong the term, as it gave them an important advantage in their frequent collisions with the Spanish Holy Office, to say nothing of the fees consequent upon the issue of briefs so voluminous and so valuable. The next step was to procure the power of presenting to benefices, and this was secured by another brief from Innocent VIII in 1488, granting to the sovereigns the patronage of a prebend in each metropolitan cathedral and collegiate church, excepting 
imprudent defence to the sacred college, those of which the bishops were also cardinals. Of this brief, Alonso de Burgos was made executor, enabling him to fulminate censures and take all necessary steps until the appointee enjoyed pacific possession of his preband. Under it, Ferdinand and Isabella, on October the 30th of the same year, made the first presentations, amounting to ten, six being inquisitors, two fiscals, one an apparitor, and one designated merely as an official. This brief, probably, was good only for five years, for in 1494 the sovereigns obtained from Alexander the Sixth another, with enlarged powers, of which Martin Ponce, Bishop of Avila, was executor. Under this, on April the 11th, 1495, they made twenty-four appointments, mostly inquisitors, but comprising seven fiscals, two members of the Suprema, and two Roman agents of the Inquisition. Among the inquisitors, we recognize the notorious Lucero and his predecessor in Cordoba, the embezzling Dr. Girl. It is probable that these briefs encountered resistance, for, in this latter case, we chance to hear of a prolonged struggle required to install Dr. Manuel Fernandez Angulo of the Suprema in the Seville canonry given to him. Haughty canons of noble blood might well resent the intrusion of low-born officials, such as Ferdinand sometimes thrust upon them. Thus, in 1499, on the death of Inquisitor Cevalos of Barcelona, his first appointee to a prebend in the church of Santa Ana, in the same city, he replaced him with Juan Moya, a simple tonsured clerk and jailer of the tribunal. Nor was this the only instance of such abuse of patronage. He also availed himself largely of the privilege of non-residence by appointing canons and other beneficed clerks to positions in the tribunals, and his letters of the period are numerous, in which he notifies the chapters that their members have been thus drafted to the service of God, during which they are, under the papal letters, to be reckoned as present and are not to be deprived of any of the fruits of their preferment. So, when he drew the licentiate Pedro González Manso from the professorship of law in Valladolid, he told the college that the chair would be filled by a substitute at half price during Manso's absence. Everything was subservient to the Inquisition, and all other institutions were expected to minister to its needs. When Julius II, on November 16, 1505, renewed the quinquennial indult, he no longer appointed executors, but empowered the inquisitor-general to coerce with censures the chapters to account for and pay over to the appointees the revenues of their benefices. It appears that they sometimes compel the appointees to agree under oath that they would take only a portion of the fruits, for Julius pronounced such agreements to be void and released the incumbents from their oaths. This brief he repeated on September the 8th, 1508, with some additions, of which more hereafter. The opposition of the chapters, in fact, had in no way diminished, and defeat only seemed to intensify their obstinacy. When, in 1501, 
Diego de Robles, fiscal of the Suprema, was granted a canonry in the church of Zamora, the persistence of the chapter carried the matter to Rome, where Gracian de Valdez, nephew of the bishop, boasted that he would get the Pope to reserve the benefice to himself. It gave infinite vexation to Ferdinand, who wrote to the canons, on July 24th, that if they did not admit Robles within three days, they must leave the city and present themselves before him within thirty days, under pain of forfeiture of citizenship and temporalities. Similar orders were sent to the provisor. The corregidor was commanded to see to their execution, while urgent letters were addressed to Rome to counteract the labors of Valdez. These vigorous measures brought the chapter to terms, and Ferdinand, on September the 2nd, accepted their submission, revoking their banishment to take effect after their giving possession to Robles. Simultaneously, a similar quarrel was on foot with the chapter of Barcelona over the grant of a canonry to the inquisitor of Saragossa, who was already archdeacon of Almazan, and this was likewise carried to Rome. So resolutely did the chapters resist the invasion of their rights that Enguera, inquisitor-general of Aragon and bishop of Lerida in 1512, had to invoke both royal and papal authority to secure the revenues of benefices held by him in the churches of Tarragona and Lerida, and, with regard to the latter, the Pope was obliged to appoint executors to enforce his briefs. If Ferdinand had expected, by this abuse of patronage, to lighten the burden of supporting the Inquisition, he was doomed to disappointment. He probably found that those who thus obtained positions for life could not be depended upon to perform gratuitous service in the tribunals. Their full salaries had to be paid, and their benefices were only an extra gratification, so that his anxiety to secure these for them must be attributed to his desire to obtain able and vigorous men for the moderate remuneration provided by the payroll. When Pedro de Belorado was sent to Sicily in 1501 as Archbishop of Messina and also as Inquisitor, the receiver was ordered to continue to him the salary paid to his predecessor, Sgalambro. So it continued. When in 1540, Villas Ortiz was commissioned as Inquisitor of Valencia, the orders were to pay him the regular salary of 6,000 sueldos, although, as canon of Toledo, he possessed a handsome income. By this time, these matters were in the hands of the Suprema, and its members and officials were too eager seekers, after pluralities, not to enforce the papal indult with vigor, giving rise to incessant struggles with recalcitrant churches. Thus, in 1546, when Pedro Ponce de Leon was made a member, he was Mestre Escuela in the church of Alcalá de Henares. There was trouble about his revenues, for, on February the 27th, 1547, Valdez summoned the abbot and chapter to keep on paying him, and expressed the hope that they would not compel him to resort to censures. Similar letters, about the same time, were issued in behalf of the private secretary of Valdez, Fortuno de Ibarquen, who was an insatiable pluralist, 
being archdeacon of Siguenza and canon in the churches of both Leon and Oviedo. Simultaneous were letters to the chapters of Segovia about the revenues of its dean and canon Miguel de Arena, who was inquisitor of Seville, and to that of Siguenza for its treasurer and canon Menendo de Valdez, who was inquisitor of Valladolid. A couple of months later, there were letters to the chapters of Badajoz about its canon Baltodano, who was inquisitor of Toledo, and in August to the chapter of Majorca about Juan Garcia, who had been appointed consultor to the tribunal of Saragossa. In October, prosecutions were commenced against the recalcitrant chapter of Leon, which had refused to pay the fruits of the canonries of Ibarguen and of Cervantes, the inquisitor of Córdoba. It would be useless to multiply examples of this incessant strife, in which the chapters persistently, but unavailingly, sought to prevent the absorption of the revenues by the Holy Office. The resistance was hopeless, for, even with the most resolute, it was only a question of time when opposition was broken down by excommunication and the summons to appear before the Suprema, while appeal to Rome was fruitless when it was the duty of the Spanish ambassador to watch for such cases and oppose them. Of course, the greater number yielded without remonstrance, and we hear only of those who dared to offer futile opposition. It is observable that all the cases which thus come before us involve benefices without cure of souls. The papal indults comprised both those with and without such cure, and it is not to be supposed that the former were not extensively exploited, though we do not hear of them, because in such cases there was no organized body to feel aggrieved and raise a contest. When came the counter-reformation, the Council of Trent pronounced strongly against non-residence by beneficiaries holding cure of souls. Special episcopal license was required for absence, which, save in exceptional cases, could not exceed two months, and no privilege could be pleaded. Accordingly, when in 1567 Pius V was called upon to renew the quinquennial indult, he expressly accepted parochial churches and benefices with cure of souls. This was somewhat tardily obeyed, and it was not until June the 8th, 1571, that the Suprema announced the limitation. There was another provision of the Council of Trent which met with less observance. It required all obtaining preferment of any kind to make, within two months, profession of faith in the hands of the ordinary or chapter. No attention was paid to this, and the chapters, waking up to the advantage that it gave them, refused to pay the fruits, giving rise to multitudinous suits. At length, in 1612, a brief was procured from Paul V, declaring that the work of the inquisitors was most necessary to the church, and could not be interrupted to travel to the distant seats of their benefices. He therefore evoked all pending cases, imposing perpetual silence on the chapters, and validating all payments made to incumbents, who were allowed in Spain six months, and in the colonies two years, to perform the duty. In future, 
it should suffice to do it in the place of the residence and furnish a public instrument attesting the fact within six months or two years the council of trent was of small importance when brought into collision with the inquisition at length philip the third listened to the complaints of the chapters and in a decree of december the twenty fourth fifteen ninety nine addressed to the suprema he called attention to the injury inflicted on the cathedral services by withdrawing canons from their duties and he ordered that in future much caution be exercised especially as regarded the deans the doctoral and magistral canons and the penitentiaries if this produced an effect it was but temporary in sixteen fifty five we chance to learn that in the tribunal of cordova of the three inquisitors bernardino de leon de la rocha was a prebendary of cordova and collegial of the cathedral of cuenca bartolome buhan de somosa was a canon of cuenca and fernando de villegas was collegial of san bartolome in addition the fiscal juan maria de rodesno was collegial of cuenca and the secretary pedro de armenia was prebendary of cordova this single tribunal thus deprived cuenca of three of its dignitaries and cordova of two the doctoral and magistral canonries alluded to by philip afforded a special grievance these were stalls in each chapter to be occupied respectively by a doctor of laws and a master of theology for the purpose apparently of furnishing to the church what it might need as to law and faith they had been instituted by sextus the fourth who decreed that the holders should not absent themselves for more than two months without express license of the chapter under pain of her feature the inquisition was restive under this limitation on its acquisitiveness and at its special request julius the second in his second brief of september the eighth fifteen o eight revoked the decree of sextus and included them among the benefices that could be held by officials without residence at length in fifteen ninety nine the chapter of cordoba in a contest over the matter procured a papal brief requiring the residence of the doctoral canon who was not to be excused under pretext of serving the inquisition apparently this was disregarded for philip the third in his instructions of sixteen o eight to sandoval y rojas called special attention to the matter even this failed until there was a sharp conflict with the chapter of toledo over the case of dr bernardo de rojas in which the chapter won and he was forced to resign an appointment as inquisitor then again the question came up in sixteen forty when philip the fourth appointed dr andres de rueda rico as supernumerary member of the suprema it resented the intrusion and addressed to the king a very free-spoken consulta in which it laid particular emphasis on his being doctoral canon of cordova and therefore obligated to residence yet in spite of this when the cordoba chapter refused to pay him his fruits the suprema decided against it then the chapter carried the case to rome where as the agent of the inquisition reported on september the twelfth sixteen forty urban the eighth 
to evade a direct decision, revived the brief of Sixtus IV, forbidding the use of the doctoral and magistral canonries in this matter. Cordoba followed up its victory, and in 1641 obtained another brief forbidding Rueda from receiving the fruits, and appointing the nuncio and the ordinary of Cordoba executors to enforce it, and to relieve the chapter from any censures fulminated in consequence. The Suprema was flushed with its recent victory over the chapter of Valencia, in the matter of Sotomayor's preband and pension, and, in 1642, it addressed to the king an urgent appeal to suppress all such briefs, as Ferdinand had done, and representing the eagerness of the curia to destroy the independence of the Inquisition and the prerogatives of the crown. Philip, however, was not embarrassed with the Catalan and Portuguese revolts, and for once was moderate, merely ordering the chapter to desist from the appeal and to surrender the briefs, while the inquisitor-general must require Rueda to abandon the canonry, seeing that he had enough to live on, with his salary in the Suprema and the wealthy archidiaconate of Castro, which he also held. Incidentally, the Suprema declared that the magistral canonries were out of reach, but the doctoral ones were not, probably presuming on the royal ignorance. Trouble continued to the end. In 1684, the chapter of Santiago contested vigorously the right of the receiver-general of the Suprema to hold a canonry, and, in spite of the prohibition to appeal to Rome, it carried the matter there, arguing that the officials of the Suprema were not included in the papal briefs. In this, it had the support of the churches in general, which united in a memorial to the Holy See, but the effort was fruitless. Close watch seems to have been kept on the expiration of the quinquennial periods, for, in 1728, the chapter of Valencia refused the daily distributions to non-resident members on the ground that the indult had run out. The tribunal appealed to the Suprema, which replied, on April 22nd, with a copy of the renewal of the grant by Benedict Thirteenth, carrying in it to 1733. Apparently there had nearly been a lapse. Commissioners were frequently selected from the chapters of their places of residence, and it was a long-debated question whether they were entitled to constant non-residence, seeing that their duties were occasional and mostly local. It was finally settled that they should enjoy the fruits when absent on duty for the Inquisition, but even this was disputed in 1780, by the Collegiate Church of San Ildefonso of Lirena, in the case of the prebendary Pedro Enriquez Verones, a commissioner of the Valladolid Tribunal, who was refused his share of the distributions during absence by order of the inquisitors. Inquisitor-General Bertran complained to Carlos III, who peremptorily ordered payment whenever absent on business of the faith. A similar question apparently arose in 1818, for the Suprema sent, on July the 18th, to the Tribunal of Llerena, a statement of the case with a copy of the letter of Carlos. The Napoleonic Wars caused a slight lapse in the quinquennial indults. One expired on February the 6th, 1813, a few days before the publication of the Edict of Suppression by the Cortes of Cádiz. When the Inquisition was re-established, 
it promptly applied for a renewal of the privilege, and on November the 19th, 1814, the Suprema announced that Pius VII had not only granted it, but had ratified the receipt of revenues by non-residents during the interval. This renewal expired on February the 6th, 1818, when there was delay, and the new brief was not issued until March the 15th, but it does not appear that any chapter took advantage of the interval. When this expired, there was no longer an acting inquisition. The overgrown church establishment of Spain, with its accumulation of wealth, afforded a fair mark for acquisitiveness, and several efforts were made to obtain from it a permanent foundation for the Inquisition. We have seen how waste and prodigality, to say nothing of peculation, notwithstanding the active business of confiscation, rendered it difficult, in 1497 and 1498, to pay the salaries of officials. A remedy for this was sought in the spoliation of the church, and Ferdinand and Isabella turned to Alexander VI, representing the constant increase of heresy, the additional efforts required for its extirpation, and the insufficiency of confiscation to meet expenses. If the holy work were not to end, aid was needed, and those engaged in it were performing a service to God equivalent to that of canons in the recitation of the daily offices. If a canonry with its freeband in each metropolitan, cathedral, and collegiate church were devoted to the support of the officials so long as the Inquisition should last, it would be a great safeguard to the faith and aid in the destruction of heresy. Alexander granted the request, and by a brief of November the 25th, 1501, he incorporated in the Inquisition a canonry and prebend in every church, authorizing the Inquisitor-General to take possession of the first vacancies, and appointing the bishops of Burgos, Córdoba, and Tortosa as executory, with power to suppress all resistance without appeal. It is remarkable that we hear nothing more of this portentous grant. No evidence has reached us of any attempt to enforce it, or of any resistance. Probably even Ferdinand recognized an opposition too dangerous to be provoked, and contented himself with using it as a threat against unruly chapters, which objected to his using canonries to pay his inquisitors. In the project of reform drawn up in 1518, it was proposed that, in place of living on the confiscations and penances, the inquisitors should have one or two canonries for their support. After this scheme fell through, Charles adhered to the idea, and on October 29th, he instructed his ambassador at Rome to procure from Leo X a brief similar to that of Alexander VI. Without some such support, he said, it would be impossible to procure the services of men of proper character and learning. Leo was not as complacent as Alexander, although Charles repeated the request in a personal letter to him on September the 3rd, 1520. Then, on August the 14th, 1521, Cardinal Adrian wrote to Charles, reminding him that, long before, the Pope had conceded a prebend in every church where there was a tribunal in order to remove the infamy ascribed by some persons to inquisitors of desiring the condemnation of the accused 
in order to assure their support. That concession had not been enforced, principally because the revocation was awaited of the bull against the Inquisition. Now, the Bishop of Alguer, the Roman agent of the Inquisition, has announced the revocation of the bull, and, in order to remove the infamy and perpetuate the Inquisition, he urges Charles to write to Don Juan Manuel in Rome, to procure the grant of the prebends in accordance with a list prepared by the Bishop of Alguer. Charles was probably too much engrossed in the attempt to suppress Luther to devote much attention to the matter, and Adrian, when he succeeded to the papacy, did not use his power to make the grant, although he was involved in a quarrel with the stubborn chapter of Almeria, which refused to admit his transfer to Inquisitor Churruca of Valencia, of a precentorship which he held in that church, a quarrel which lasted until 1524, and required the united efforts of the Suprema, the Tribunal of Murcia, and of the Emperor to bring to a termination. We hear nothing more of the effort at this time, but Charles bore it so strongly in mind that in his will, executed in Brussels, June the 6th, 1554, he dwelt upon the advantages of the measure, and ordered Philip, in case of his own death without obtaining it, to labor with the Holy Father to procure what would be of such advantage to the Inquisition and service to God. The occasion came, in a few years, with the panic caused by the discovery of Protestantism among a few people of quality, a panic skillfully stimulated and exploited. Philip urged his ambassador, Vargas, to obtain from Paul IV a grant of one per cent of ecclesiastical revenues to relieve immediate necessities, and the suppression of a canonry and prebend in each cathedral and collegiate church. The Suprema aided in a report to the Pope on September the ninth, fifteen fifty eight, on the alarming progress of Lutheranism. After exaggerating the danger and the labors of the Inquisition, which could only have been carried on through the gift of ten thousand ducats by the king and contributions from Bales, for it was penniless. The report went on to state that, when the Inquisition was established, there was a tribunal in almost every bishopric, but, as the confiscations fell off, they were diminished to the few that remained, so that there was one which had fifteen sees in its district, and it had not funds enough to pay the slender salaries of its officials. Although this had been repeatedly represented to the popes, no remedy had been granted, but now, in these perilous times of heresy, it seemed necessary that the tribunals should be multiplied, as at the beginning, and rendered permanent. All this could very readily be accomplished if the Pope would apply some ecclesiastical revenues, which were of little service to God, and could be better employed in sustaining the holy office, now so enfeebled through lack of funds." Although its work was pushed with all possible diligence, its future was uncertain, if it could not be sustained, and the remedy for this lay with His Holiness. This lying plea aided the pressure brought to bear by the king, and on December the 10th, Vargas was able to report that he and Cardinal Pacheco had had an audience of the Pope, who manifested great goodwill, 
and offered to grant a concession of a hundred thousand ducats to be levied on the clergy in place of one percent on the revenues. After considering the question of the prebends, including the doctoral and magistral ones, he was content to apply to the Inquisition the first vacancy in each cathedral and collegiate church in Spain. This, Vargas adds, should receive special consideration, as it might be refused by another pope, and, when this was gained, if the expenses of the Inquisition increased, there would be little trouble in getting it duplicated. The spread of heresy in France and the dread of its infecting Spain had brought the curia to a complying mood. The Suprema needed no urging to secure so great a prize without loss of time. There could have been little opportunity for discussing details between Rome and Madrid, for the brief was signed on January the 7th, 1559. It recited the reasons set forth in the report of September the 9th, and argued that, as the churches could not subsist without faith, it was better for them to sacrifice a portion of their substance than to risk the whole. Wherefore, motu proprio, with certain knowledge and in the plenitude of apostolic power, the Pope suppressed one canonry and preben in all cathedral and collegiate churches in Spain and the canaries, the first falling vacant, no matter who might have the collation of it, and applied its revenues in perpetuity to the Inquisition. As each fell vacant, the Inquisitor-General should appropriate it and collect the fruits, the consent of the diocesan or of anyone else being in no way requisite, notwithstanding all conciliar decrees and papal constitutions to the contrary, or the claims of holders of expectatives or reversions, or of a long list of possible claimants, which shows how these benefices had been made matters of trade in every possible way. It can only have been the haste in which this long and elaborate document was prepared that explains the omission of executors and power to break down the opposition to be expected from the whole Spanish hierarchy. Valdez, however, boldly assumed that he had the power. On April the 29th, he sent the papal letter to all prelates and chapters, with a missive exhorting bishops under pain of interdict of entrance to their churches, and requiring all deans, chapters, etc., under penalty of excommunication and two thousand gold ducats, to hold as suppressed, extinct, and perpetually united to the Inquisition the first vacant canonry and prebend. In the name of the Inquisition he accepted them and declared them incorporated in it, and ordered the revocation of all nominations and collations that might have been made since the date of the letters or might be made thereafter. The chapters were commanded to pay over all emoluments as completely as though the canonry were served by an incumbent at all services, and inquisitors were empowered to prosecute all who resisted and to inflict censures and penalties, as well as to appoint procurators to take possession and collect the revenues, and all this he audaciously said that he did by virtue of the sad apostolic faculty conceded to us. Pius IV died on December the ninth, fifteen sixty five, and Baldes was shelved in fifteen sixty six. 
the brief had conferred the power on his successors as well as on himself, and there was no necessity for its confirmation, but one was procured from Pius V on July the 15th, 1566. The object, evidently, was to cure the defect as to executors, who were now appointed with full and arbitrary powers, those named being the bishops of Ziguenza and Palencia, and the auditor-general of the papal camera. Some details were added, an unusual feature being the prohibition to assail the letters as surreptitious and obreptitious, showing that this argument had been freely used in the endeavor to escape from their operation. A further confirmation was obtained from Gregory the Thirteenth on July the eighth, fifteen seventy four, but none seems to have been subsequently thought requisite. No time had been lost in gathering the fruits of the papal grant. On April the 16th, 1559, a provision was dispatched to take possession of a preban which had fallen vacant in the church of Palenosia. On April the 27th, another for one in Leon, and soon afterwards for others in Calahorra and Saragossa. Frequently they were found to be burdened with pensions that had to be recognized, but the process went on, and in comparatively a few years, it would seem that vacancies had occurred in most of the chapters. Possession, however, was not had without sturdy resistance, during which, at one time or another, nearly all the chapters were under excommunication. Legal proceedings were frequently resorted to in the desperate hope of averting the absorption, but it was futile. The Suprema was the court of appeal. The cases, practically, were prejudged before they were commenced, and there was no escape. In the end, of course, it made little difference, but a more shameless mockery of justice can scarce be conceived than that which made the tribunal which was to profit by the suppression the judge in its own case. The process may be followed in the voluminous proceedings attending the seizure of a prebed in the collegiate church of Belmonte, a town of some importance in the diocese of Cuenca, in 1559 it fell vacant by the death of Gregorio Osorio, and was filled by the appointment of Francisco Garcia del Espinar, at the instance of the Duke of Escalona, who seems to have had the collation. Bales ordered its seizure, and the matter took the form of a suit between the fiscal of the tribunal of Cuenca on the one side, and on the other the Duke, Espinar, and the prior and chapter of Belmonte, with the Cuenca tribunal as judge, by virtue of a commission from Baldes. The judicial farce ended on October the 8th, 1560, by the inquisitors gravely reciting that they had heard the case and duly considered it with the assistance of persons of conscience and learning, and had found judgment in favor of the fiscal, suppressing the preban and ordering all the income to be turned over to the receiver of the tribunal, including what had accrued since the death of Osorio. It is a striking illustration of the perversion of the sense of justice, induced by the inquisitorial process, that they were unconscious of the grotesqueness of such a performance, which was rounded out with a long and detailed enumeration of the penalties of disobedience, first a fine of two thousand ducats, and then all the steps of excommunication, anathema, and cursing with bell, book, and candle an interdict on the town of Belmonte. 
this formidable sentence was served on october the fifteenth on each member of the chapter and the notarial act was taken of the service resistance was felt to be useless on the sixteenth the chapter met and adopted a formal act of obedience stating that it was through fear of the penalties threatened the suppression of the prebend was ordered to be entered on the capitular records with the addition that as the sentence gave no instructions as to the services or masses dependent upon it or as to the payment of the accrued revenues received by espinar the necessary action would be taken subsequently while thus summarily enforcing the papal grant the inquisition prudently respected papal infractions of it advantage was taken of the papal claim to all benefices falling vacant while their possessors were in rome doubtless a costly proceeding but better than for future thus gaspar escudero promptly went to rome and resigned his canonry of calahora in the hands of the pope and his brother rafael obtained bulls for it probably subject to a pension similarly diego de ortega went through the same form and francisco de bellasagne secured the bulls the inquisitors claimed them as vacancies but there was risk in contesting the papal prerogative Valdez decided on july the sixth and the eighth fifteen fifty nine in both cases that the vacancies had occurred in rome and that the bulls were good we meet in fifteen sixty with several similar cases in cordova alcala de henares and tudela where after proceedings more or less vigorous the papal action was respected another device to save something from the wreck was to obtain papal grants of pensions thus on january the twenty ninth fifteen sixty andres martin presented bulls entitling him to a pension of thirty ducats on a canonry of calahora vacated by the death of his brother and it was ordered to be paid it was the same with a pension of fifty ducats on a suppressed canonry of cuenca for which bulls were obtained by juan rodriguez and pedro vara respect at first was also shown to canonries under royal patronage in logroño the inquisitors seized one in the church of santa maria la redonda but it proved to be a patrimonial one and was released in time however this respect for the crown was surmounted and we have seen in the century-long contention over the canonries of antequera malaga and the canaries it was necessary to systematize the new business thus thrown upon the tribunals and in august fifteen sixty agents were appointed in the inquisitorial districts to keep watch over vacancies occurring and to take the necessary action they also made the collections and rendered accounts but as the income was largely payable in kind the disposal of which was a matter of judgment they were to make no sales without consulting the suprema nor payments without its orders this arrangement was soon found unsatisfactory the variable character of the revenues chiefly based on tithes and dependent on harvests and markets afforded abundant opportunity for malversation it seemed best to come to some understanding with the chapters and after much investigation into details the policy was adopted of farming out the prebends to them in fifteen sixty five and fifteen sixty six we find numerous arrangements made of this kind 
this too proved short-lived and in fifteen sixty seven it was determined to farm them out to the best bidders finally in fifteen seventy regulations were adopted for putting them up at auction thus ensuring full competition and preventing collusion and in fifteen eighty six the returns were required to be placed in the coffers with three keys a system which seems to have continued to the end there were many intricate questions affording prolific causes of quarrel to keep alive the hostility between the chapters and the inquisition engendered by the seizure there were frequent appeals to rome which appear rarely to have benefited the appealant and the inquisition eventually was left in assured possession of its acquisitions yet the friction was constant and was inevitable when the relations were so close between parties who disliked and distrusted each other thus in sixteen sixty five we find the suprema rebuking the barcelona tribunal for requiring a chapter to exhibit its books to show what were the allotments made to the resident canons the information it said could be obtained in a less offensive way again about the same time when the tribunal ordered the farmer of the revenues of the prebend of guisana to investigate whether the chapter was defrauding it the suprema wrote that as no increase of revenue could be thus obtained it would be more prudent to keep quiet especially if the farmer was a beneficed member of the church it would be better to order the commissioner at agramont to examine the books of the chapter because the fifty libras paid by the farmer when compared with the two hundred distributed to the canons was too small to this the tribunal replied that it had long been exposed to frauds and suppression of the value of fruits by some of the chapters as for that of guisana it would be useless to examine the books as the contador would be the first of the conspirators petty quarrels such as these are significant of much that was going on everywhere and of the chronic condition of enmity between the tribunals and the chapters the former doubtless received considerably less than their dues and the latter regarding themselves as despoiled felt justified in withholding from the spoiler whatever they could per fas et nefas yet however much the revenues may have suffered in this way the prebends constituted as we shall see hereafter three-eighths of the resources of the tribunals reaching in seventeen thirty one to nearly six hundred thousand reales a year and enabling them to prolong their existence during the later period when the confiscations and fines and rehabilitations had ceased to furnish available means of support but for the brilliant stroke by which valdez secured them in fifteen fifty nine it may be doubted whether the inquisition would not have proved so heavy a burden that carlos the third would have allowed it to perish of inanition end of book five chapter four